Holy Spirit. Lord, so we pray, God, now, Lord, as we sow into your kingdom, God, that we would do it with full hearts, knowing that first you gave it all. God, so we thank you, God, that you called us, Lord, that you've already paid the price, Lord, but that you've called us to walk and be equipped, God, to work in your kingdom. God, we would do it with gladness and diligence to your glory. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Sometimes I feel discouraged And I think all my works in vain I'm tempted Sing it with me. Sing the chords.
You know, Brother Michael, I was thinking of that song and about the songs we sung this morning. On the back of your bulletin, if you notice, there are nine names to pray for. Nine names to pray for. Don Westbrook, he's here, I think. Joseph South Daniel, she's here. Judy Peel, she's here. Worth Overman Sr., he's here. Judy Johnson, she's here. Paul Owen. Now, some came to the altar in wheelchairs, but they're all here because you're praying for them. And they're not all perfectly well, but they're here, healed by the power of God. Would you praise God for it today? That was beautiful. It's good to see you, Miss Judy. I know there's, I can't do everyone, but there's several others that, between Logan, Haley, Adam, Austin, there's several others that just want to say it's good to see y'all. So good to see y'all. This morning I have three announcements coming up, uh, all dealing with young people of ages six up to 17. The first of those is the Dove Camp coming up. Antoinette's not here today, but uh, feel free to touch base with me after the service if this is something that, that is either for you or someone that you know, but ages 10 to 14, not starting this upcoming week, but the week right after that, Antoinette will be here many, many Monday, Tuesdays, Thursday mornings, uh, doing all kind of things. She's been doing this Dove Camp, campofdove.org. You can find out more about it specifically, but she's been doing this for years on and off throughout Durham, and this year, our church is partnering with her. She's gonna be doing it here in the Fellowship Hall, and a lot of other places, too, because it's going to be an off-site thing so often. Um, the kids will go to Greensboro, different things. So with that being said, if you are either yourself, have someone in your family, or you know of a 10 to 14-year-old that would benefit from this, um, I know specifically there's some in the church that came to our soccer camp that are very excited about this. Uh, they said that uh, they would be there, Miss Hilda and uh, Kristen's grandchildren. So... Please feel free to speak to me after the service. Uh, I would definitely relay that information to Antoinette so we can properly prepare for the students. And then part of this Dove Camp, at the very tail end, they'll be going to Camp Dixie as well. Camp Dixie is just on the other side of Fayetteville, and this is be for middle and high school students. So this is July 17th through the 21st. Our kids went last year, and can I just tell you that it's, it's exciting to me. It kind of occurred to me this morning. We came back from camp. And the youth all were worshiping around the altar. And I know at that point, you know, it's just kind of a different, you know, setting here versus what we had experienced there. Can I say thank you for being a church that is just moving and thriving in the Holy Spirit? Because it's so cool to see this morning, the, again, the altar full of, of people worshiping. Um, and, and I know that is something that uh, God is working in our midst. So if you would, please send your middle school and high school student to the camp as well this year. Because I know that God did some amazing things last year. And I'd love to see that continue um, that is, uh, again, July 17th to the 21st. The church has already done all the upfront work for that. We're going to be taking the bus uh, down. We'll be getting there that evening and coming back once we clean up things Friday morning. So really more of like a, a four-night camp. And Pastor Daniel Weeks from Goldsboro will be preaching every night. You have a lot of worship uh, from the team there uh, the coming down and then games. And uh, if you all know Miss Isabel, she's in charge of the pre-service games. And our church is taking a big part uh, in, in this as well. So, um, again, Camp Dixie, please see me. I'll be out of town quite a bit in July. So, please see me to make sure I know about what the list looks like for who we're taking to camp. And then right after all that's over, July 22nd is a wrestling clinic, I guess we'll call it, 9 to 1 on Saturday, July 22nd. This is for as young as 6 years old up to the age of 12. If you're older than that, feel free to come. Caleb, I think uh, Larry's open to have you help, or uh, he says he's going to find somebody that can wrestle you. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, it's going to be one of those times where we open the fellowship hall up, bring, fellowship, uh, bring wrestling mats in, 
the youth pastor from Emmanuel Baptist is excited to come help us out with that. Uh, hoping the column can help out. And several of those that were with the wrestling experience, just teach some general fundamental basics to the kids in a Christian environment and get some good energy out as well. So that's 9 to 1, Saturday, July 22nd. And the kids can actually register online for that at BethelDurham.com forward slash wrestling. We don't have that set for everything, but BethelDurham.com forward slash wrestling. Of course, you can see Pastor Larry or myself to give us the heads up as well. And with that being said, would you play the Father's Day video we have queued up? It's Father's Day, a time to celebrate all the wonderful fathers out there. Not just for being shining examples of how great a dad can be, but also for being wonderful reflections of who God is. Like God, You've provided for us. You've shown us how much you care from the very beginning. With God, you've guided us, helping us navigate through every decision, big or small. You've been present. It sounds so simple, but it's so important. Just knowing you're there when we need you. You've been patient with us helping us to grow and learn from all the mistakes we make. And like God, you forgive us, offering us grace so those mistakes can never define us. And most of all, you've loved us unconditionally as only someone filled with God's love could. So today, we thank you, dads, for all of this and so much more. Happy Father's Day. Along with everyone else this morning, I want to say Happy Father's Day to all the dads, uh, to all the ladies who had that breakfast for us this morning. Thank you. Wasn't it good? Now, the only problem with that is I've heard at least two men say, I don't know if I can stay awake after that breakfast they fed me. So... If you're sitting next, wives, ladies, if you're sitting next to your, your husbands and they start to nod, hit them for me. Hit them for me. I done told Jason I'm going to call him out if I see him sleeping because he was one of them. So good to have you with us uh, this morning. I, I do want to reiterate again the wrestling camp and clinic. So it will be from 9 to 1. If you have a, a, a child or a grandchild, you would like to bring them in. We're just going gonna to have some fun. Uh, I'm going to have a wrestling mat in the... Uh, in the fellowship hall, and we're going to introduce them. You know, you don't, have to, you don't have to introduce little boys to wrestling. Do you know that? You ever seen two little boys get together? It don't take long, does it? One's got the other one in a headlock, right? So we're going to teach them how to legally put somebody in a headlock. No, but we're going to, we're going to have some fun with them. We're going to play some games with them. But most of all, we're going to introduce them to what it means to follow the Lord. And we need some godly men influencing our, our next generation. So... And, you know, and also we're going to be, uh, as far as it comes to wrestling, you know, we're going to be dealing with the only sanctified sport because it is mentioned multiple times in the Bible, by the way, in case you didn't know that. So as a matter of fact, next week I will finish up with the life of Jacob and I'll be going through a passage of Scripture that says Jacob wrestled with God and man and prevailed. And it, left him, it didn't leave him unscathed, it left him with a limp. But So next week we will uh, pick back up with the study of the book of Genesis. But this morning... I want, to, uh, I want to talk to the fathers, and not just to the fathers this morning. I just want to talk really to, to men in general, but, but particularly our fathers as we move into, into the sermon portion. God, thank you for your presence, Lord. Thank you for the sense of fellowship that's been here already. Thank you for your presence that's been here already, Lord. And God, what a, what a powerful anointing there was for me in this time of worship. God, to sense your presence and Lord, we praise you and we thank you on this Father's Day. We thank you for the fathers that are here. God, we pray that they, they recognize who they are in you, that they recognize the great office that you've given them. Lord, that they will receive your forgiveness where they've failed. They'll rejoice where they've done well, knowing, Lord, that you are our example. As the video said, you forgive us and you love us. And we praise you and we honor you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. If there's any one office that's under attack today by Satan through the media and the culture, it's the office of the father and the idea of masculinity. 
Somehow being a strong masculine man has become a bad thing to get today. We hear terms like toxic masculinity. I don't even know if I know what that means. I think for some what it means, it means their idea of a man, is particularly when you look at the scripture where it says the man is the leader of the home and people get caught up on this idea of, 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 the, of the kids and the family submitting to the, to the dad's leadership. They want to make out this man who's heavy-handed and brutal and wants to control everybody. And they see that as some type of toxic masculinity and it's, it's not biblical masculinity. Then there's another side of masculinity. It says a, a man is a man who can drink more than the next guy, be more with more women than the next guy, beat his chest, grunt, groan, burp, make other bodily sounds, and that's an idea of a man. That's, that's not what a man is either. Let's take for a minute to see what the Bible describes as biblical manhood. Biblical manhood can be boiled down to five basic principles. You feel free, if you've got your bulletin, there's a place for notes you can write if you'd like. Five basic principles of biblical manhood that we need to conform to as men that follow God. First, humility before his God. That's where it all starts. Is that we recognize that we have a heavenly father. We recognize that we are accountable to him. We're accountable to his word. We recognize that one day we'll stand before him and give an account to ourselves. Micah, the prophet Micah asked one time, what's required of me? To love justice, to do mercy, and walk humbly before our God. We make it complicated. Micah got a simple answer. The first part to be a biblical manhood is to be humble before God. The next, and a big one, control of his appetites. The world does see men as a bunch of out-of-control guys out here trying to do anything. A biblical man knows how to control his appetites. As a matter of fact, it's one of the nine fruit of the Spirit. Self-control. Self-control. Next, protecting his family. Biblical manhood is a man who protects his family. You know, I'm, what, what, what I'm concerned about is in, in today's culture, in today's age, many men, strong men who want to protect their family, and I thank God for that, they'll say things like, and we had a group of men yesterday who went out to the range. It was about nine of us, and there's a friend of ours that we know, that I know, that runs a range, and nothing, men don't bond around anything any more than gunpowder for some reason, but we had a great time together. But we see things like, you know, hey, you break into this house or this home, I'm protected by Smith & Wesson. We'll have a mat on, on the, at the front door and says, break into here, I hope you know Jesus because I will arrange the meeting. I, I'm not opposed to any of that. I, I'm not opposed to that. But what I want to ask you, Dad, let me say this. Your children are under much more attack today spiritually than they are forever the boogeyman breaking in. And do you have the resolve to stand up to this culture today and protect your children spiritually? And that starts with your example. It's not easy. I want to tell you, following the Lord, leading your family biblically, scripturally, in this culture today is not easy. It's going to take some strong men to do it. Are you willing to do it? Providing for his family... And leading his family. Humble before God, controls his appetites, protection of his family, providing for his family, and leading the family. That is the example of a biblical man. Men who fail to meet these expectations are not behaving as men, biblically speaking, but as something less noble. Psalm 49, 20 in the ESV says this, Man in his pomp, yet without understanding, is like the beast's that perish. So you can be arrogant, you can be a strong man, you can have all the worldly ideas that you want, but you will be like a beast that perishes. But we don't have to look far into the scriptures to find many, many, many strong, godly, biblical men and dads. Abraham. Abraham was a strong man. We've been going through the book of Genesis. He rescued his nephew, Lot. Lot got captured. Abram said, no, that's not going to happen. He got him 300 soldiers. He went and he went back in and he rescued Lot from captivity and got his stuff back. Abraham was a strong, 
biblical man. David. David was a warrior. David was a fighter. He killed Goliath. A story that most of us know. There's a a scripture that's associated with that. That every time I read this scripture, I love to read it. Because it's one of those scriptures that make me want to go, yeah. And that is, what that scripture is, is that, they, that Goliath is out there. He's taunting the armies of Israel. He's like, look, find me a man who can kill me. Find me a man who can fight me. And all the Israel army, they're scared to death. This man's a giant. I would have been scared. But here comes this little ruddy shepherd boy, and all he's doing is bringing some provisions to the camp. And he finds out what's going on. And this is, the, this is what David says. He looks out, he says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he would defy the armies of the living God? I'm like, yeah, that's my kind of man right there. That is my kind of man. You know, we just, that that song, I thought about it when we were singing that song. What, David, that, that song in there that said, I ain't going down. I'm not going down. Why? Because he ain't failed yet and he's not going to fail. And David knew, I'm not going down to this Philistine. He had that much trust in God at that time. God, I hope I can have that much trust. We see if you follow David's life, David's life is a great example for men to follow because he also failed greatly too. But he trusted in God at that moment. And he went out there and he faced that giant. And he said, you know what, you coming at me with spears, swords, and javelins. I'm coming at you in the name of the Lord my God. And he slung a rock and he hit him between the eyes on the forehead with it and dropped him and killed him. David was a warrior. The Bible says David would go on to take an army of men and kill 200 Philistines. The Philistines were warriors. Not only would he kill them, he'd cut off their foreskins. Every man in here just went, oh. But that's what he did. Joshua. Joshua. Joshua took over for Moses. He's standing at the Jordan River. He's about to go over into this promised land we've been talking about through Genesis. But he's about to lead all these people. He knows there's going to be battles over there. There's going to be a fight over there. There's going to be wars over there. And the people he's going to be leading, do you know what they're doing? They're doing what we often do. They're grumbling and complaining. And Joshua's had enough. And he looks back at him. He says, let me tell you something. If being over in Egypt was better for you, Egypt is a, in our world, in our scriptures today, Egypt is a metaphor for the world. So in essence, what Joshua was saying, look, if the world is better for you, if what you've left is out there better for you, the ungodliness, all the things that God's brought you out of, if you think that's better for you, then go on back there. Do, do if you think it's better, go. That's where Joshua was. But he looked out at that crowd and he said, but I'm going to tell you this, for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. We're going to serve the Lord. And dads and men, that's where we have to be today. Joseph, Jesus' father. He wasn't Jesus' biological father. But Joseph exhibited incredible faith. I mean, here he is. He's engaged to Mary. And then all of a sudden, she's pregnant. But he's never been with her. And of course, an angel appears to Mary and tells him, tells her, look, what's conceived in you is of the Holy Spirit. An angel visits Joseph, but he has to get her, and he has to get her out of there. He has to bear that shame. There would have been so much shame in that. But Joseph believed in God, and he trusted God enough. These are men. These are men who exhibit what it means to be a biblical man who trusted in God. But look, you don't have to do these types of great exploits to be a father. You may not do all those things, and that's okay. The most important thing, Dad, that you can do for your family, particularly in today, is be there. The problem in our culture today is absentee fathers. Ask Steve Hall, ask Rick Pendergrass, ask the other officers, ask me, ask anyone, ask John Knight. Through all the years, Larry, of putting handcuffs on a young man, most of the time there was not a father in that home. And there certainly wasn't a biblical father in that home. God has given us, he has ordained us, he's given us a position. And I'm sad to say that where we are in our society today is because men have failed to do what God has ordained us to do. But it's not too late. 
And maybe you're here today as a dad, and one thing I don't want to do, Pastor Don has said this so many times, so well, I don't want you to feel like when you leave here that you could put your hat on your head and walk under the door. Because we all have made mistakes. We all have done things we wish we could do different or do over. But we can't. But we do serve a God who says this, I can restore the years that the locust ate. I can give beauty for ashes. You can start where you are, Dad. Don't just stay there. Start now. Start moving forward. Start living for God now. Start setting that example now. Yeah, it's going to be harder if you're older and your children are older, but it matters and God will honor it. But be there. I found this illustration. It said, I received a letter from a single mother who had raised a son who was about to become a dad. Since he had no recollection of his own father, her question to me was, what do I tell him a father does? When my dad died in my ninth year, I too was raised by a mother, giving rise to the same question, what do fathers do? As far as I could observe, they brought around the car when it rained so everybody else could stay dry. They always took the family pictures, which is why they were never, they were never in them. Well, Tammy would tell you that's not true with me, it's that, that's hers. They carved the turkeys on Thanksgiving. I don't do that either, by the way. They kept the car gassed up. I do do that. They weren't afraid to go into the basement. I'm not. They mow the lawn. I do. Uh, and they tighten the clothesline to keep it from sagging, but we have a dryer now, thank goodness. <laughs> it wasn't until my husband and I had children I was able to observe firsthand what a father contributed to a child's life. What did he do to deserve his respect? He rarely fed them, did anything about their sagging diapers, wiped their noses or fannies, played ball, or bonded with them under the hoods of their car. What did he do? He threw them higher than his head until they were weak with laughter. He cast a deciding vote on the puppy debate. He listened to more than he talked. He let them make mistakes. Dad, one of the greatest things you can do is let your children make mistakes. They're going to make them. He allowed them to fall from their first two-wheeler without having a heart attack. He read a newspaper while they were trying to parallel park a car for the first time in preparation for their driving test. You know, when I read that one about reading the paper while they're trying to parallel park a car, when Tammy and I, would, our boys were small when we would be at the beach, we were sitting there and the kids would be in the water playing. I'm, I'm relaxed reading a book and every, Tammy can't relax everything. Every she's like, <gasps> I was like, what is wrong with you? The kids, are, that wave, it just, I said, Tammy, Relax. I said, by the time you jump up, if they really get in trouble, I'll drop this book, I'll beat you to the water, and I'll get them out of the surf. I won't let them drown. But she just couldn't do it. Moms, moms just can't do that. If I had to tell someone's son what a father really does that is important, it would be that he shows up for the job in good times and bad times. He's a man who's constantly being observed by his children. They learn from him how to handle adversity, anger, disappointment, and success. He won't laugh at their dreams no matter how impossible they might seem. He will dig out at 1 a.m. when one of his children runs out of gas. He will make unpopular decisions and stand by them. When he's wrong and makes a mistake, he'll admit it. He sets the tone for how family members treat one another, members of the opposite sex, and the people who are different than they are. By example, he can instill a desire to give something back to the community where its needs are greater than theirs. But most importantly, a good father involves himself in his kids' lives. The more responsibility he has for a child, the harder it is to walk out of his life. A father has the potential to be a powerful force in the life of a child. Grab it. Maybe you'll get a greeting card for your efforts. Maybe you're not, but it's steady work. That's the most important thing, Dad. We've got to be there. When I think about my father, he's in a very challenging situation of his life now. His body and his health is failing him. But when I think about my dad, I don't, I don't think about an annual big fishing trip we took or hunting trip or, or anything like that that maybe dads have bonded around with their, with their children. What I remember about my father is when I got up to go to school, he was there. When I would come home from school he was there either he would be there shortly after work when our family vacations he was there when I would look up in the stands when I was competing in wrestling he was there dad we've made it more complicated than it needs to be what your children need is you you know there's many fathers I could have highlighted this morning 
But it was one in particular, one dad in particular, that I think what he faced most parallels where we are in our culture today. And that dad is Noah. I know I dealt with Noah extensively when we looked at the Ark of the Salvation. But I want to give you four lessons that I learned when I briefly studied the life of Noah that I think compare to us and are for us today. First, Dad, you can raise godly children in an ungodly culture. And this culture has become past a sinful culture to me, and to me it has moved to wickedness. What I saw happen at the White House last week, what I saw happen in front of Dodger Stadium this week, was past sinfulness. It was straight wickedness. You can raise your children in that. It's not going to be easy. You might have to make some hard choices. You might have to get a handle on this thing right here. You might have to put some parameters on it. But you can do it. Noah did it. His culture was wicked. The Bible says that the thoughts and the, of, of the men in that time were on evil continually. It was a worse society than we live now. But yet in that, God had told Noah, build this boat. I'm, judgment's coming. And he'd never even seen rain. They didn't know how to concept what a boat was. But Noah did it. And his children helped. He dared to trust God. You can do it. You can raise these children. You might have to make some hard decisions. I want to say to particularly young parents this morning that maybe would be raising, and for those who may be watching online that may be raising young kids, start thinking about some options as it relates to where, how your children are going to be educated and where they're going to be educated. There's things happening in our culture today, in our schools today, that are beyond anything we could have ever imagined that was going to be going on and the things they're trying to teach them. But you can do it, Dad, and it's your responsibility. Dad, you can trust God. You can trust God in this ungodly culture. You set that example for your family. You're the ones who they will see do that. Number three, be willing, as the story I read, be willing to admit you're not perfect. Be willing to need you might need some help along the way. Be willing to admit, Dad, that you yourself may fail. Right after the R, or after the water seceded, I think that's the word, and the, and the boat sat down on the ground. Noah was a farmer. He, he went right into making him a grapevine. Well, he must have also made some wine. And Noah got drunk off the wine. And drunkenness is a sin. So Noah committed a sin. And he passed out in his tent. And he had three sons, Ham, Shem, and Jephthah. Well, Ham walks into the tent and sees his dad in there drunk. And he comes out and he looks at his other two brothers. He says, come look at dear old dad in here. Look at Mr. Righteousness. You know, the Bible said that Noah was a righteous man. He was a preacher of righteousness. But he's not perfect. And for this is for the young people in here today. Your dad's not perfect. And nobody knows the dad like the family. You know, I can come into this church and I can put on a good front on Sunday and maybe even Wednesday night. And I can walk out there, but I'm going to tell you, Tammy, Colin, and Hayden, they know me. They know me. They know what I'm like. You're not going to fool your family. But he did. He went in there and he, he said, come look at dear old dad. Why would he do that? I don't know. Maybe he resented his father's stand for God. There's a lot of kids today just resent that their father makes a stand for the Lord. Maybe he had tried to lead Ham into that, discipline Ham in that. I don't, the Bible doesn't tell us, but he did it. He went in the, to the tent, and he goes out and he tells his brother, come look at dear old dad. He's drunk in the tent. And the other two brothers said, what are you doing? And the Bible says they got a sheet. And they walked backwards into the tent so they couldn't look on their father's nakedness and they covered him. And and do you know that Ham, the one that looked on his father's nakedness, the one who ridiculed his father, the Bible says him and his whole generation was under a curse. It's under a curse. The Bible says honor your mother and your father that your days may be long upon the earth. It is the first commandment with a promise. 
And we push that on our little kids, and we should, but it goes from little kids to our aging parents. And sometimes it gets harder when our parents are aging. And the responsibility for my dad and where he is right now does not lie with the state. It does not lie with the church, although you are so gracious every time somebody needs something. It lies with me as his family and his son to honor him. So we're to honor our dad. Four things. You can raise godly children. You can trust God in an ungodly culture. Admit your failures, dad. And dad is to be honored. Dad is to be honored. But this morning, I want to leave you with some words of wisdom. I want to leave you with some words of wisdom. So if you have your Bibles or your smartphones, if you want to turn with me to Proverbs 3, 1 through 12. These are the words of Solomon out of the book of Proverbs. Solomon was the wisest man in the scriptures. The wisdom came from God. Came from God. People came from all over to hear what Solomon had to say. And he was so blessed of God, they came to hear what Solomon had to say and also see his riches. But he he wrote some things down. And in the scripture, it's known as the wisdom literature. The wisdom literature. In the book of Proverbs, there's 31 chapters. And so if you've never done this before, and we've got some new followers of the Lord, and and maybe not so new, maybe you've never done this before anyway, you've been following the Lord for a while. There's 31 chapters in the book of Proverbs. In July, there will be 31 days. I'll challenge you to take the book of Proverbs, if you've never done this, and read a proverb every day. Every day. One of the uh, writers I read behind said, really, all Christians should do that. Read behind, read a proverb every single day. It's one of the few books that tells us why it was written and what the purpose of it is. Proverbs 1, 2 through 4. Proverbs 1, 2 through 4. I didn't give you this, Christy, but that's okay. Tells me what the whole book of Proverbs is for. This is what the Proverbs are for. To know wisdom and instruction. To perceive the words of understanding. To receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, judgment, and equity. To give prudence to the simple, to the young man, knowledge and discretion. Does that sound like something you would want to know? I would. I would like to know that. And if I were to ask you today, dads and men in this place, if I were to ask you a question and say, would you want your life, everything in your life, guided by God himself? How many of you would raise your hand and say, I do. I would like for God to be guiding my life. I hope everyone in here wants the God of heaven to be guiding your life. Well, we're getting ready to see, be issued some challenges in how we can likely see that happen. But there are one thing I need to tell you about the Proverbs that's important. The Proverbs are general truths from God that assume exceptions. It's wisdom. We have to separate Proverbs and precepts from promises. A famous proverb is, train up a child in a way he's go, and when he was old, he will not depart from it. That's generally true. That's not a guarantee. So you might say, well, what good is it then? What good are these proverbs? What good is this wisdom compared to anyone else's wisdom? This is inspired by the Holy Spirit. This is the wisdom of God. That's what makes this different. That's what makes this different. The recurring promise of proverbs is that generally the wise which is the righteous who obey God, live longer, prosper, experience joy and the goodness of God, while fools or the wicked suffer shame and death. But there are exceptions. If you'd like to read Psalm 73 today, you'll see. Where Asaph, one of the things he was lamenting is how come the people who are so wicked seem to be living so well and the righteous seem to be living so poorly. He was trying to figure that out. There are exceptions. The Proverbs are important because they contain moral and ethical elements stressing upright living that flow out of a right relationship with God. So this is Proverbs, and this was written by Solomon to his son. So this is a dad. So think about dad if you were going to sit down and give some guidance and some words of wisdom to your son. This is what Solomon was doing, a very, very wise man. And I want to share it with you today. 
There's six challenges in verses 3, 1 through 12. Six challenges, and, and, and Solomon says, if you will do these things, this is what your life can be like. So Proverbs 3, 1 through 12. My son, do not forget my law, but let your heart keep my commands. For length of days and long life and peace will be added to you. Let not mercy and truth forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. And so find favor and high esteem in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It will be health for your flesh and strength to your bones. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase, so that your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. So let's look at these challenges. Let's look at these words of wisdom that the wisest man was given to his son. All of us as dads want our sons to be prosperous and healthy. And so let's see what Solomon had to say to his son. Verses 1 and 2. He says, My son, do not forget my law, but let your heart keep my commands for length of days and long life and peace they will add to you. Solomon was saying to his son, Keep and know God's word. The greatest thing that we can give our children is God's word, to know him, to know his word, to know what his word says to do and not to do. I'm sad to say we live in a, a biblically illiterate culture today. Did you all see that, that story about the Jeopardy contestants most recently? Did you see that, Carol? That is a sad situation. You know what it was? On Jeopardy, they asked three, and these were smart people. They said, tell us how the Lord's Prayer starts out. Not one of them could answer it. Not one. That's where we are as a culture. If you want to guard your children against this culture, it's time to get serious about this. Not just to know it. Not just to know it. You can know it all you want. But Solomon said, keep it. That's where it gets tough. That's where it gets tough. And when you read this, it says, don't forget my law and my commands. So you may be thinking to yourself, but that's Solomon. He's talking about his law, his commands. Here's the thing with Solomon. The basis of Solomon's teaching to his children would be God's word. He had a relationship with him. Let me ask you something, Dad. What is the basis of your teaching to your children? Is it Facebook? Is it Instagram? Is it Fox News or CNN or the Wall Street Journal or Kiplinger Report when it comes to money? What's the basis? What, what do you use? What are you feeding? What are you giving your children? Please make it the Word of God. There's not anything wrong with some of those things that I mentioned there, but this needs to be the basis of what we're teaching our children today. And that would have been the basis of what Solomon was teaching his son. He said, if you'll do this, you can expect long life and peace. If there's anything that we need in our homes today to flow out into our workplaces today, to flow out in our cultures today, it is shalom. It is peace. Peace is the absence of strife. There is so much anxiety and strife in homes today like we've never seen before. I want the peace like that song we said, peace that makes no sense. Peace when you're facing a trial of life that you can just have a peace that the, Jesus said in 1427, my peace I leave with you, not the peace that the world gives, but his peace. And Solomon said knowing and keeping God's word would usher in that peace. And it comes from being obedient to God's word. 1 Samuel 15, 22 says obedience is better than sacrifice. You know, we might come in and sacrifice a little bit of time on Sunday morning here and there. We might even throw a little sacrifice and throw a little money in the plate here and there. We might sacrifice all that, but the question is, are we willing to be obedient to what God's Word says and live how it tells us to live? I wish I could say we do that perfectly. We don't. But we certainly shouldn't be the ones that be standing up in anywhere and say, well, it doesn't really mean that anymore. It does. It's never changed. It never will change. 
Anchor your life to it. And so many times people will come in and say, well, there's so much in it I don't understand. Mark Twain said this, it's not what's in God's Word that I don't understand that troubles me. It's what I do. And the vast majority of this book is crystal clear. It's just, am I willing to submit myself to it? That's the question. Know and keep God's word. Verse 3 and 4. He says, let not mercy and truth forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablets of your heart. And so find favor and high esteem in the sight of God and men. Let not mercy and truth forsake you. Bind them around your neck. What in the world does that mean? That simply means this. When he talks about binding it around, around our neck, that our lives reflect the character of God. We're talking about mercy and truth. Those are two of the most key essential characters of God himself. He's a God of mercy. Thank God he's a God of mercy. Mercy is not getting what we deserve. Do you know what I deserve? Do you know what you deserve? You deserve eternal punishment in a place called hell. That's what I deserve. But he went to a cross. And he said, now come to that cross and you will find mercy. Put your trust in me. You will find mercy there. And now he tells us to be people of mercy and people of truth. To let that flow out of who we are. That our families see that. Our workplaces see that. They see this in us. Tied around our neck. It's part of our character. And what would be the result? The favor of God and the favor of man. Is that a guarantee? The favor of God is. Not the favor of man. As a matter of fact, Jesus, when he started his, pers- his, his ministry in Luke 2.52, it said he grew in stature and in the favor of God and man. Boy, everybody loved Jesus when he was doing all the miracles, right? When he came into Jerusalem, everybody was out there saying, Hosanna, God save us, right? But just a couple weeks later, what were they saying? Crucify him. Crucify him. But folks, what's important is that I keep favor with God. And as I try to keep favor with God, sometimes I'm going to fall out of the favor of man. Some of you are experiencing that. Falling out of favor with friends. Falling out of favor sometimes with family. Not intentionally. Not because I'm trying to be a jerk about it. Just because I'm just not willing to compromise this. But no matter what, let's reflect God's character. Next, God's guidance. Verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct your paths. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. What are you trusting in today? Is it in your money? Is it in your health? Is it in the government? Is it in your religion? What are you trusting in? Solomon said to his son, put your trust in the Lord. Put your trust in that. Everything else is going to fail you. Everything else is sinking sand. Put your trust in the Lord. And with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. There's some things that's going to happen in my life and your life that you don't understand. But you you test it by this here. What does this say? How, How does this say I should approach it? Doesn't mean that we, I think so many times, particularly as Pentecostal church, people think that we check our brains at the door or that we never had any. I got plenty of brains. And I can submit myself to the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit and still be an intelligent person. As a matter of fact, I think a real intelligent person would do that to recognize there's a power stronger than me and I need him operating and functioning in my life. Lean not on your own understanding and in all your ways. Acknowledge Him. That means in every part of your life, reflect that God is your Savior, that Jesus Christ is your Savior, and that He is your Lord. That He is your Lord. How do we acknowledge Him? Let me ask you this today. Do you acknowledge Him in your relationships? Will you acknowledge Him in your sexuality? Will you acknowledge Him in your money and your possessions? Will you acknowledge him in your thoughts and your attitudes? Does all of these things, do all of these things in which you live, do they acknowledge who God is? He says, if you do this, he will direct your paths. Now, I told you the Proverbs can be 
have some exceptions. I believe this is one that teeters on a promise personally. Because you can find this in many other places in the Scripture. And one thing you always do is say, does this restate it over and over in the Scripture? Well, it is. Psalm 37 and 23 says, The steps of a righteous man are ordered by God. And then Proverbs 16 and 9 says, Man makes his plans, but the Lord directs his steps. And sometimes, church, you have to have been walking with the Lord a little while. You have to have gone through some trials of life. You have to, the, the more you get a little age on you, the more you get a little gray in your hair, it's when you look back 5, 10, 15, 20 years, many of you in here can testify to that and say, you know, God was guiding my life then and I did not even know it. If you're here today and your trust is in Him, if you'll acknowledge Him, He will direct. You may, you're not going to know it. I, I don't think. He's not whispered in my ear yet and said, Larry, marry this person, go to this school, go to this church, go here, go there. He hasn't done that. But as I look back on my life, I see where He's directed my steps. But it's a day-by-day process. Verse 9 and 10. I'm sorry, verse 7 and 8. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It will be health to your flesh. It will be strength to your bones. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. You know, as I thought through this, I said, Lord, how is fearing you and certainly departing from evil, how is that health and strength to our body? How is that? You know, and I just thought for just a minute about the level right here in this city, and we see it across our nation, of violent people hurting violence, death, murder, and then the people who were destroyed by drug overdoses. We, we just had, a, had a, the head of, a former head of EMS. We did a CPR class here last week. We have an AED in the church, by the way. Now, if you don't know what that is, it's an automatic external defibrillator. We have a lot of people in the church, medical staff, former first responders who know how to use them. So if you go down, we're going to put that thing on you, and we're going to put about 10,000 volts through you. And we might, we'll probably wake you up then and get you going, and we'll have some folks praying for you too, but we have that here. But he talked to us, and he told us the fentanyl crisis that's right here in this city, the number of overdoses, 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 and if it wasn't for the Narcan, how many people would be dead? And I thought if people alone would just depart from evil, get out of the wickedness, get out of the wicked world, how it could be health for our body and strength for our bones, how we could live a longer and a healthier life by following the Word of God. 9 and 10. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with your first fruits of all your increase. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Teach your children to be givers, Dad. Teach your children to be givers. We live in a self-absorbed, it's all about me, selfish society. Let them see you be a giver. Let them see you talk about how you sit down in the family finances and how maybe you could afford more car, more house, more this, more that. But they say, no, listen, I give my first 10% to the Lord. To the Lord. You have to teach your children that. Nobody else is going to teach them that. The schools are not going to teach them that. You teach your children to be a giver. You teach them how to manage money because the schools are not going to do it. Teach them to manage money by this first. Not Kiplinger, not the Wall Street Journal, not any of that. This, this. I read this not too long ago. It says the greatest thing we can teach our children is to deny themselves. You know, we live in a world where people don't deny themselves nothing. If I want it, I'm going to get it right now. I don't care if I can afford it or not. I'll come up to this high or this high in debt and get it. Teach your children to deny themselves. And your barns will be filled with plenty. Your vats will overflow with new wine. Is that a guarantee? No, but I've said this many times, particularly to young people. If you're a young person here today, I hope you'll listen closely to this. If you will start out your career and your life managing your money and saying, God, I'm going to give to you. And when I sat down and I do my finances, the first fruits are going to you. Because if you can do that, then the likelihood is you're going to manage that other 90% well. 
Because that takes discipline. And I have seen people do this through the years. Am I telling you you're going to be rich? Am I telling you you're going to have a Mercedes, a beach house, any of that stuff? Not necessarily. But I'm telling you that your finances will be okay in this capitalistic society. But if you get out there and do what the world tells you to do and go and, and run yourself ragged and credit and this and that, you're going to live miserable lives. You're going to lose marriages over it. I've seen it. My kids could finish this statement, and some of you may be able to. When they were young, I would always say this, and they would finish it for me. When you're young, if you'll live like no one else. When you're older, you'll live like no one else. Where does that come from? It comes from Dave Ramsey. Dave Ramsey gives biblical, simple biblical advice. What does he mean by that? Teach your children, look, when you're young and you're starting out in life, if you'll manage your money, if you'll be a giver, if you'll buy less house than you can afford, less car than you can afford, less this that you can afford, one, because you want to be a good steward, but primarily you want to keep that consistent giving. Yeah, all your buddies over there who are in their 20s that have got big houses they can't afford, cars they can't afford, and they're going to be living, you're going to be living like no one else at that age. All your friends are living differently. But then as you get older, when you get into your 40s and 50s, and they're still up to here in debt. They've lost marriages over money. There's stress over money. There's arguments over money. But you're over here living well. You're living like no one else. It works. It's God's Word. It works. But we want it now. I want it right now. We've often heard we're microwave Christians serving a crockpot God. His precepts are timely. In closing, I'm going to ask Matt and, and the team to, if, to come on up if they will. Do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor detest his correction. The Lord corrects those that he loves. I don't have time. This is a long scripture, but if you want to write down Hebrews 12, 5 through 11 and read that later today, you could. But the Lord corrects those that he loves. How does he correct us? Sometimes it's in trials. Sometimes it's in suffering. I don't like that. But it happens. It happens. There's been a, many a testimony of people who have come to the Lord through a trial or through suffering. Particularly if they had known the Lord and walked away from him. Sometimes it, that's what it takes to bring us back. Sometimes he just lets us suffer the consequences of our sin. And it can be his chastening. But he says, don't despise it. Do not despise it. For whom the Lord loves, he corrects, just as a father, the son in whom he delights. The last thing, dads, that we have to make sure we do is discipline our children. We have to discipline our children as God disciplines us. What I'd like to do is end this... Uh, service this morning. I, I would like for everyone to stand if you don't mind. I would like for every father to come down first and then if you're here and you're a man and you want to come down as well. But I want to ask every father to come and then if your wife is with you or, and or your children if they will come and stand behind you. And I want the wife and the children to lay their hands on the, on the father. Being a dad is a, is a hard job. Anybody who's ever done it knows it's difficult. And there's times that we've done it and we feel good. I feel like I've had some success in it. There's times I think through it and I feel like, mm, I didn't do a very good job in that area. But thank God, he's gracious. He, he's gracious even in our failures. And so as I said earlier, if you're a dad here today and there's, maybe there's a lot of mistakes, I don't know. You start where you are. So I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray a blessing on you. And then they're going to sing this song. It's called 
order my steps in your word. And I want to ask then for each family to pray over that dad and that God will bless them and that dads, you'll recommit to walk in the word of God if you're not, if there's some areas in God's word that you need to work on, that this morning, you'll say, this morning I'm going to start in these areas walking in God's word. Lord, thank you. Thank you for these men that are before us today. Lord, we thank you. We thank you that you are our example. Our Heavenly Father who loves us unconditionally. God, I'm thankful for that. I've needed that, that unconditional love. But Lord, I'm reminded that your promises are not and your precepts are not. They're conditional. They're conditional, Lord, on me being being willing to read your word and to be obedient to your word and to walk in your word. And Lord, there's been times in my life I've done that well. There's been times I've not done it so well. But thank God that you are faithful. You are faithful. You're faithful to us when we're not faithful. And I thank you for that mercy and that grace, Lord. And I pray for every dad and every man, Lord, that stands before me now. Lord, that they will experience, if they need to experience and feel your love, Lord, they would feel your love. That where they have failed, they will feel your and sense your mercy. And Lord, that they will sense the great and great awesome responsibility that they have as dads, both now and until you call them out of this earth. God, you've ordained that office to be a leader. And I thank you for these men who have done that, who have raised their children, Lord, to be men, to be men of God. I thank you. And I pray, Lord, for every family that's represented here. And Lord, our prayer and my prayer, Lord, is that you order our steps in your word. So, Lord, as we begin to sing this song, Lord, let it be a song of purpose. Let it be a song of a vow before you, God, that we say, Lord, ask you, guide our steps and order our steps in your word in Jesus' name.
aren't you glad it says the world is ever-changing? And it is, rapidly. But aren't you glad you're connected to something that's not? Aren't you glad? You're talking about something that gives stability to your home is to be latched onto something that's not changing. No matter what, how much the world changes, no matter how much it changes definitions of things, it's nice. We hold on to something that is eternal. If you're here this morning, you have a specific need in your family, in your home, in your life, male or female, if you want to raise your hand, we'll have somebody pray with you before we leave. It could be for any, whatever you may need. We believe in gathering around our brothers and sisters and praying over them for whatever they may need. Terrence, if I can get a couple men to go pray with Terrence in the back, Sister Josie, I'd like to get a couple ladies to come pray. Wasn't it good to see Sister Josie here this morning? Praise God, it's good to see Mr. Josie this morning. Anyone else? Anyone else? We're going to pray for these. They're going to continue to worship here. You're free to stay and worship as you like. Our service is officially over. Dad's happy Father's Day. I hope you get to spend some time with your children today. Mine are coming to see me. I'm excited about seeing them. God bless you. Continue to pray for each other and spend some time in His presence.